Hello and welcome to the Overanalyzing Critic. This is the first episode of this podcast. I hope you'll enjoy it. Today what we'll be doing is overanalyzing the ballad of the songbirds and the snakes. This is a Hunger Games novel published by Suzanne Collins. It is a prequel to the original Hunger Games series. I shouldn't have to explain it. Now in this series or on this podcast what i hope to be able to do is overanalyze things in pop culture and entertainment then give my review from a scale of zero to ten ten being the best and zero being the worst now let's jump into this overanalyzation all right let's start off with the main premise of the book the book's main character is coriolanus snow now this is a stupid name i do not like it one bit coriolanus at first, the entire time, I was pronouncing it Cornwallis. Then I realized there is no W, and it is ridiculous. Why is named Coriolanus? Uh, that's his name, Coriolanus Snow. You know, I could have gone my entire lifetime without knowing that Coriolanus was Mr. the very fearsome President Snow's name. I could have gone a lifetime without knowing that, but now I do, thanks to Suzanne Collins trying to pump out some more money out of that dead horse known as the Hunger Games that came out a couple of years ago. So... I'm going to read like the summary or like the tagline at the very back of the book. It is the morning of a reaping that will kick off the 10th annual Hunger Games. In the capital, 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor in the Hunger Games. The once mighty House of Snow has fallen on hard times, and its fate hanging on the slender chance that Coriolanus will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribute. The odds are against him. He's been given that humiliating assignment of mentoring the female tribute from District 12 the lowest of the low. Their fates are now completely intertwined. Every choice Cornwallis makes see Cornwallis, I said it again. It's Coriolanus. Every choice Coriolanus makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena it will be a fight to the death. Outside the arena, Coriolanus starts to feel for his doomed tribute, and must weigh in his need to follow the rules against his desire to survive no matter what it takes. So you just read the summary of this book, and already, right out of the gate, there's some nagging similarities between the original series and this book. First of all, I mean, do I have to list them all? I guess I do. The main thing that will jump out is the similarities with District 12. Alright, female District 12 tribute. Who does that sound like? It sounds a lot like our main character in both book series. I assume this won't be a series. I like the idea of a prequel, however... It seems like milking milking a dead horse right now. I know that's impossible, but it is possible, okay? <laughs> so again, we're going all we're rewinding to the tenth annual Hunger Games and we're you know, I like the angle of exploring uh pre president Cornwallis Snow. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna refer to him as Cornwallis, okay? I don't wanna refer to him as Coriolanus. That just goes against every instinct of my body. So for the main backstory behind this, Coriolanus I, I'm going to go back and forth, alright? It's inevitable. I'm going to go back and forth. So, at the beginning of the story, we're introduced to Coriolanus about... And he basically, essentially, gives, like, a memoir of the how the pre-war time it was. And how it was amazing, but the, but the war kind of shaped everything. If you don't remember in the original series, in the war, there was a war between the rebels and the great capital of the nation of Panem, which was North America. So, there was a war, and after this war, it left Coriolanus' family kind of broke. I mean, apparently they had, like, a great fortune. They've got a huge apartment. Well, I guess it's, like, a mansion, technically. They've got elevators that don't work. 
But unfortunately, his dad does pass away in the war as a soldier. And then his mother dies as well. So he's an orphan with his cousin Tigris, I think. Yeah, it's Tigris. <laughs> all right. Uh, so apparently Tigress is literally the best of the two. She gets all the food. She makes the clothing. She she makes Cornwallis look like an itty-bitty loser. So Cornwallis is 18, and he is now a mentor. He is a mentor, which in the very new Hunger Games. This is the 10th annual Hunger Games. And the Dr. Gall is, a, is one of the head female scientists and is a gamekeeper. And they are introducing mentors, essentially students at the recent at the school called the Academy. The Academy is a school for children for high well-to-do children at the capital. So the men, the students at the Academy will be mentoring tributes for the very first time. Now, as we know in the future, due to uh, being able to read the other books, we know that mentors are typically the other tributes that have won in the past, but not in this case. This is the very first time mentors are being introduced. It's a good backstory. And essentially starts off with the grandma kind of being delusional. The grandma is the only really adult figure that he has in his life, and she's kind of losing it. She apparently she sings the capital anthem over and over again, and I'm going to tell you, there is a lot of singing in this book, which I don't like. I don't care. I really don't need to, to read the words of this of this anthem, this fictional anthem. So what I usually do is I skip over those parts. But here's the opening uh, lines. It, the opening line is, Gem of Panama, mighty city, through the ages you shine anew. We humbly kneel to your ideal and pledge our love to you. And it just continuously repeats. So, eventually, they're going broke. And Cornwallis is trying mighty hard to make sure no, none of his friends at the school doesn't know that he is broke. He's being super studious and uptight. He's like, oh, look at me. I'm very fancy. I, I have prestige and honor. And essentially what happens, the mentorship gets introduced, and we start realizing that the capital is, like, messed up. And what what I don't like that Suzanne Collins took to the approach is that the capital looks at these, at the district people, as if they are second breed. Second, like, there are different, like, they're referred to as animals, which, I guess it's realistic, but it's really awful if you think about it. Like, they're, like, repeatedly, they're they're knocked down, they're like, they're animals, they're, most of the tributes are, they're all put in a zoo, where essentially they're behind metal bars for everyone to look at, it's, it's really horrible. Now, the very first scene plays out in a crowded ball, essentially, it's a celebration before the 10th annual Hunger Games, we get introduced to a couple set of characters, we get introduced to the dean of the school, who essentially runs the Hunger Games, he is credited with creating the entire idea of the Hunger Games, his name is Dean Highbottom, uh, which Corn- Coriolanus Snow calls Dean high as a kite bottom. Haha, <laughs> clever. Comedy. <laughs> Anyways, we also get introduced to a nagging thorn in Cornwallis' side, Sejunus Plinth. Yes, I know it's spelled S-E-J-A-N-U-S, which technically would be Sejanus, but all these names are ridiculous. I'm going to say it's Sejunus. Sejunus Plinth, who essentially is a rich boy. His dad was actually a rebel munitions. Uh, he ran a rebel munitions 
uh, store, I guess, a rebel munitions factory. And with his riches, he essentially bought his way into the capital. He restructured the entire academy. So the man is rich. <laughs> Anyways, Sejunus proves to be a very nagging soul. He just wants to do the right thing, but he goes about it so wrong. And it, you'll see, it gets very annoying. And we we start getting used to Cornwallis starts panicking over his money problems. A new tax law is introduced where it because he doesn't have the money, he he's gonna be taxed and he's gonna lose it, all of this stuff. So now he's grappling with the fact. And now Dean Highbottom, apparently, he comes up to him and he starts making fun of him, essentially, you know, gloating in his face. It is revealed that Dean Highbottom knows that Cornwallis Snow does not have is not is not as rich as he as he seems. Then the scene cuts to the reaping ceremony. The reaping ceremony, like we all know, name gets drawn out of a cup to see which two tributes go to the Hunger Games. Now, it takes a lot of inspiration from the first book. I'll tell you that. Uh, so the name gets drawn for Lucy Gray, and again. What is with these names? These names are so ridiculous. I know you want your book to be original, but come on. Lucy Gray? These names just don't even make any sense anymore. It's probably the most normal name out of all of them, but still. Anyway, Lucy Gray makes quite an entrance where she, apparently, she sneaks a snake into the mayor da mayor's daughter dress. The Everyone goes wild. It's a huge scene. Mayor goes over, slaps Lucy Gray, and then Lucy Gray gets on the microphone and for some reason, is not stopped by any of the peacekeepers, but she starts singing to the crowd. And at the very end of their performance, the peacekeepers take her away, finally. I guess they, they were enjoying the performance. They take her away, and everybody is instantly captivated by this singing, leading woman who was drawn at the reaping. Does this sound familiar? It's because it does. It sounds like we're replaying Candace Everdeen right now. It, it was a scene. It was quite a scene, and it's got everyone gawking at this. And eventually, the mentorships are assigned. And what do you know? Our good old boy Cornwallis Snow is assigned to mentor District 12's girl. That's right. It's, she's from District 12. He's assigned to mentor Lucy Gray. What a what a crazy turn and coincidence. I do like how it introduces the angle that maybe Cornwallis Snow already has connections in District 12. And that he already kind of knows the entire terrain due to his mentorship, so he kind of knows what Candace Evergreen is doing in the books. I like that narrative a lot. Now, what I failed to mention is that Lucy Gray and Cornwallis are kind of striking up a budding fr friendship, somewhat flirtatious a little bit. So then they go to the arena to survey how things are going, and boom! The arena blows up. It's not. It's like an awful arena. There's no technology or anything around it. It's just boring and lame. Boom, it explodes. It might have been a mine or a rebel bombing. Nobody really knows. Essentially, a lot of people die from that. And Marcus escapes. But we find out later Marcus actually got... <laughs> he actually got captured. And we find out that Lucy Gray actually saves Cornwallis's life. Hooray! Can't have a female her own without the Hunger Games, am I right? Anyways, they move on into part two called The Prize, in which this entire section is devoted to... Uh, one goal, which is, uh, which is Cornwallis trying to get Lucy Gray to win, and at the very end of it all, say Junius is just like, uh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I mean, they're locked up in cages. It's, it's really bad, and everyone's like, "Be quiet, say Junius. Nobody likes you." <laughs> Anyways, 
He Sejunus tries to protest Marcus's capture, but again, nobody cares because he's Sejunus. I really don't like Sejunus. I'm realizing. Anyways, moving on, we find out that you know everything is going down. They have the standard interviews, which nobody cares about. There's a guy named Lucky Flickerman, which I don't know if that's the announcer for the new Hunger Games, but I do know that he's the announcer for that. Anyway, we find out that it's you know it's not as advanced. They're trying to make strides. They they introduce sponsorship deals, and with sponsorship deals, you know they fly in food. It's actually a really good idea. And guess what? It's our good old friend Gorn Wallace's uh, idea. Yeah, Gorn Wallace. <laughs> anyway, we find out about the Mockingjay and how Lucy Gray actually really likes the Mockingjay, which coincidence, Katniss Everdeen really liked the Mockingjay. I know, I know, it's it's actually really cool. Um. Lucy Gray, we find out, is a part of a group called the Covey, which I can only describe as a musical cult. It is a musical cult. Essentially, it's a bunch of orphans who like music, so they perform in District 12. They have no family. They have no actual district. They don't align themselves with any side, really. And they're really kind of boring. They're just like one huge circus, but not huge. And also, they're puny and tiny and orphans. Did I mention orphans? Anyway, Lucy Gray is a part of them. She's actually a really good singer. And what happens is they create, it's called the Ballad of Lucy Gray Baird. And she sings again. I don't care at all. And apparently it makes Cornwallis jealous because in the song she was singing about an ex-lover and Cornwallis gets jealous. Anyways, they, you know, they mend up eventually because, you know, they can't have any romantic tension between these two. Am I right? Anyway, we find out that... Cornwallis is also, he's a great manipulator. He manipulates Sejunus's mom to think that they're actually, like, really good friends. And that, you know, they should, yeah, yeah. So, essentially, the Plinths, which is Sejunus's family, they they have tons of money. And they kind of, like, fund Cornwallis. They give him food. This Plinth is actually, like, a really good cook for some reason. Because why not? And we move on, eventually, to the Hunger Games. And the Hunger Games... It's essentially uneventful. There's not a whole lot that goes down. It's actually really boring. And without the added presence of multiple camera angles, I know it's supposed to be set in an older time, but because no camera angles, we don't actually know what's going on during the entire thing. One side note, Dr. Gal employs her murderous snakes. Her murderous snakes, she tosses them into an arena. But old Cornwallis has a trick up his sleeve. He knows that the only way that Lucy Gray will be safe from the snakes is if he puts a handkerchief with uh, with Lucy Gray's scent on it, so the snakes will recognize her scent and not bite her. It's pretty genius, in fact, except he's the only one who enters the lab, so who else could possibly put the handkerchief inside the lab? It'd be Cornwallis. It's an awful idea. And then, to further complicate things, Cornwallis gives a... a, a it's a vat of rat poison to poison her competitors. Cornwallis is cheating! He just cheated twice. I get it, it's the girl he loves and everything, but he just cheated twice. It's the Hunger Games, man. Gotta have a little bit more respect. Anyway, surprise, surprise, Lucy Gray actually outlasts her competitors and wins the Hunger Games. But very short after, his awful plot comes to a close. He's actually found out that, ah, he actually cheated. So, he's given two options. He can either go to jail and be tortured for the rest of his life, or... He can become a peace giver, which is essentially the stormtroopers of the capital. And yes, they are not actually stormtroopers in real life. They're more like army people in in the in the books. 
in the movies, they look like stormtroopers for some reason. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have the budget for actual military costumes. So essentially, Cornwallis becomes a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper, and he is bored by it. He doesn't like it because he lacks physical strengths. However, look, his old buddy, say, Junus, comes and becomes a peacekeeper with him. And for some reason, Cornwallis, like, actually, like, really likes him now. They're best buds. And, you know, say, Junus still has got that rebel blood in him. He's speaking about, like, helping out the rebels in District 12. Which, when you know it, Cornwallis and, say, Junus are deployed to District 12. They, they start training there in District 12. I guess it's like a slap in the face from the capital. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to send you to District 12, that mud hole. Anyway. He goes, and he actually, like, really likes the army. He's having a good time. Say, Junus is actually, like, a really good shot for some reason. But, but, he finds, he finds Lucy Gray. Lucy Gray and the Covey are performing in the hob, which we know is the black market, essentially, in the marketplace. So, he goes, he sees Lucy Gray. He reunites with her. You know, they become lovebirds, their girlfriend, boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. It's very annoying. And we get our first glimpse at what the Hanging Tree song is. Uh, we get the background for it anyway, where Arlo, an old miner, he gets hanged for essentially starting like a mine explosion. He dies, and at the very end, he calls for his daughter to flee, uh, and that inspires the Hanging Tree song, which is actually written by Lucy Gray. Wow, convenience, convenience, and uh, yeah, it's it's a wild turn of events. He becomes a peacekeeper, and then he actually gets in a little bit of trouble. He shoots. Two people dead because they were attacking Lucy Gray and the Covey. He shoots them both. You know, now he's worried that he'll get found out. But actually, he promote, his captain promotes him to officer. He's going to go to officer school in only two short days. So he's, he meets up with Lucy Gray. He says, hey, let's bail out. Let's go to the forest. We're going to live together forever. And side note, Cornwallis actually records Sejunus talking to him about becoming a rebel. So they're going to say they're going to provide guns for the rebels, and they're going to lead them out into the forest. They're going to escape with the rebels and with Lucy Gray. Well, un- unknowing to say Junus, the little backstabber Cornwallis records the conversation, sends it to the capital. Say Junus is found out. Say Junus gets hanged. Say Junus dies, and Lucy Gray learns of this. So, in the forest where they're going to run off together forever, Lucy Gray betrays Cornwallis, leaves a deadly snake in behind, leaves a trail. Lucy Gray escapes from Cornwallis. He gets him angry. He's like, ah, come on. He gets sent to the capital where Dr. Gal actually forgives him for giving up Sejunus because technically he's now like a capital hero because he gave up a traitor and like he passed on information about a traitor. So he's now a hero actually in the capital's eyes. He gets promoted. He goes to the university where we we know that he actually poisons Dean Highbottom. Yeah, he poisons him. Which was alluded to one of the Hunger Games books, which if you don't know, Finnick, which was one of the Hunger Games winners in the past. He's like the golden boy of the Hunger Games. He spilled the beans. He was like, hey, Cornwallis Snow, actually, you know, he like poisoned a couple people. And now we get a glimpse of this poisoning. He essentially is learning at the university, essentially like the Stanford of all the capital. He learns at the university. At the very end, the final words are, Snow always comes out on top. And we get a glimpse of the ruthless tyrant and dictator that he will soon become. He improves the games dramatically. He introduces manual viewing. He introduces a lot of things, more camera angles. The man is basically a pioneer for the Hunger Games and for the capital. He's revered. He's a ruthless dictator. 
And that's where the story ends. And I gotta say, it was a pretty good book. There are some nagging problems, definitely some similarities with the original series. But I definitely liked it. I liked the prequel aspect. So I'm gonna have to give this book a solid 7 out of 10. And the way I'm gonna rate this is, I'd be willing to give up, I'd be willing to give you 7 cheeseburgers to read this book. So here are 7 cheeseburgers. I rate it 7 out of 10 cheeseburgers that I would give you to go see this book. Thank you for tuning in to the very first overanalyzing series. This is a long, long video, but I like making it. I like talking about this. Hopefully, I'll come up with a second video. It's going to be about the lemonade war. I'll have fun with that. Thank you so much for listening. And, yes, thank you so much for listening. I need a tagline. What's going to be a tagline? Let's say... Hmm. I have no idea what the tagline will be. Let's just say thanks for watching. Thanks for watching.